Well, good morning, students. It's good to be with you again. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and find the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, today, we move from the book of Exodus to the New Testament, to the letter of Galatians. Uh, we're going to study this throughout the next uh, couple of weeks over the summer months, and um, I- I'm really excited to go through this letter with you for a couple of reasons. It's, it's a letter full of the gospel of grace, and I think it's timely for you and for me, just as, as Lakeview youth and, and our culture and our just uh, what's going on around the world right now, it's helpful for us to go to this letter in particular for a few reasons. First, um, it's God's Word, right? Studying the Bible is always profitable for the people of God. And, and this is a, a book that's uh, it's, it's a deep mind, it's full of treasures, but it, it is pretty easy to understand the, the grand scheme of it. And so it's helpful for you and for me as students of God's Word to use the letter of Galatians as a way to, to learn how to study the Bible maybe even more. Um, so it's, it's God's Word. It's helpful and profitable for us. Second, it's a, it's a really good follow-up to the book of Exodus, the book that we've been studying over the last five months. So now that you and I have seen God's redeeming, saving, compassionate heart in saving Israel out of Egypt, uh, after we've seen God giving Moses a covenant for them to follow as the people of God, now we can appreciate so much more the inbreaking of this new covenant that the people of God have through Jesus. And that's, that's all that Galatians is about. Uh, so understanding Moses and the law and what role they should play in our lives is actually really vital for us understanding this letter rightly. It's also just a nice change of pace, right? Because for the last couple of months, we've been sprinting through the Bible, right? Um, last Sunday, I think I taught through six chapters of the Bible, and, and today we only have five verses. So it's a good change of pace for us to think about. Uh, sometimes we want to read for breadth. We want to read large chunks of Scripture to get the full narrative and to understand what all's going on. But there are other times where we want to dig down and, and drill deeply into a few verses to really mine the treasure that we can find there. So that's what we're going to do here in this, uh, in this, uh, in this lesson through Galatians. And third, um, this, is, this is true for you and for me and for anybody watching this video and for anybody who's ever lived, right? Especially uh, people who, who know that they're Christians, who, who believe in Jesus. All of us are either recovering prodigals or recovering Pharisees. And that's why we need the book of Galatians. So all of us need to relearn the gospel of grace all over again. So, so some of you are sinful and you know it, right? Like some of you know that you have sin in your heart. You know that you do things that don't honor God. You know that you disobey the Lord. You disobey your parents. You disobey your teachers. You know that you've sinned. You know that you've done wrong. I mean, all of us are sinners, right? All of us can say that we have sin in our heart, but, but you, you really know that the sins that you've committed are horrendous. You, you, uh, you have incredibly dark and dirty secrets, uh, maybe a dark past, and you think that your sin actually causes Jesus to repel away from you. Right? You believe that your sin somehow makes Jesus want to have nothing to do with you. Maybe you don't think that you can keep coming back to Jesus because you just keep on messing up and failing. Like maybe you think that there's, there's no way that, that Jesus wants to see you today because you know what a mess you've made of your life. If that's you, you need this letter. Like you need to understand what Paul has for us in Galatians. You need to see that Jesus loves you. 
that he died and dealt with all of your sins and that he wants to draw you in to a rich and intimate fellowship with him. You, the sinner, the prodigal. But some of us are not like the prodigal son, right? You think about that story, the the prodigal son and the the self-righteous older brother. Uh, Some of us are not like the prodigal son. We didn't squander our inheritance. We didn't run after the desires of the flesh. Maybe instead of the prodigal son, you're like the older brother. Or maybe you're not unrighteous like those sinners. Maybe you see yourself as maybe better or more moral or even more holy than other people. So, so you're not unrighteous. Instead, you're, you're self-righteous. You look at your own performance and your own uh, activities or, or the things that you don't participate in, and you come to find that you, you think that you're doing pretty well for yourself, that you actually are, are doing pretty okay at this following Jesus thing on your own, that your heart sometimes beats to the rhythm of the Pharisees of the New Testament who thought that they could contribute to their right standing with God through the things that they did, through their works. If you feel like your performance somehow earns you more favor with God, then this letter is for you as well. Because what we're going to find is that our relationship with Christ is all of grace. It is by grace alone that he has saw fit to, to save us, to redeem us, to enter into a relationship with us, that your works have no merit in the economy of the gospel, that your works are important, that's for sure, but you don't somehow earn more favor by doing good works. That's, that's not how it works. God doesn't love you any more <clears throat> than he loved you when he chose you as his own in the middle of your sin, right? So for the prodigals and for the Pharisees, all of us need this letter. Now, before we get started, we need to jog our memories of, of what's going on around the context of of what's happening when this letter was written. So Paul writes this letter to churches in Galatia. We, we, we get that, I think. But, but what's going on? So Paul, the apostle, uh, the one who was saved on the Damascus Road, the one who uh, was persecuting Christians as a Jew, a Pharisee among Pharisees, he says in other places, uh, he meets the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's converted, and he is sent out on a missionary journey over and over again. And one of the first things he does is he goes to the region of Galatia. And this is a, a region in uh, the Roman Empire near modern-day Turkey. And in the southern part of Galatia, uh, Paul goes to different towns, different cities, and he establishes or plants different churches. So through his missionary journey, he goes to these different towns, preaches the gospel, and through a largely Gentile population, so not Jews, he plants these new Christian churches. So after he establishes these congregations, he he leaves. He goes to the next town, the next city, the next area. After he leaves Galatia, teachers come in behind him and try to fill in some of the gaps of maybe what Paul was teaching about Jesus. And, And these teachers told the Galatian Christians, who again were mostly Gentiles, right, that they had to become circumcised in order to become real Christians, right? So they, in other words, they had to become Jewish, they had to become Jews, before they, become, they could become followers of Christ. And, and they disputed Paul's teaching by attacking his character and his authority. So, so these teachers are coming behind Paul, and they're saying, hey, G- Paul is saying that it's Jesus alone. We, we get that. Jesus is the one who makes us a Christian. He's the one who saves us, but he saves the people of God, right? Jesus is saving God's people. In other words, he's saving the sons of Abraham, the people of Israel. And in order to be a part of the people of Israel... You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law of Moses. 
You have to uh, follow after all of these different rites that we have as the Jewish people. And that's what these people were teaching these uh, Galatian Christians. And, and one of the ways they did that, like I said earlier, they, they attacked Paul's character and his authority. So these Judaizers is what they'll call, we'll call them. Uh, these Judaizers said that Paul, he really wasn't a, a real apostle, right? He wasn't really one of the 12 disciples following Jesus. Paul came kind of after, you know, Peter, James, and John and those guys. And so, yeah, he has some authority, but his authority isn't that great. So, so you don't really need to listen to what Paul is saying. You need to listen to what we are saying. So these Judaizers said, you should trust us over Paul because we know as the people of God, we really know God's word. We really know what it means. So this idea of adding circumcision and the law of Moses to the gospel ultimately would destroy the gospel altogether. And, and that's kind of what the book of Galatians is about. If we add anything to the gospel truth, that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, you can be saved from your sins. Right? That you don't have to earn anything, you don't have to do anything, you just have to come to Jesus and be saved. That's, that's the gospel message. If we add things to that, it no longer is the gospel. It's actually what Paul will say next week, it's another gospel. It's a, it's a different gospel. It's a different kind of good news. It's not the one that Christians believe. So Paul has to respond. He has to correct the false teaching of these Judaizers and get the churches in Galatia back in line with what the apostles are teaching. So he corrects the false teaching that was, that's found its way into these churches by proving his authority as an apostle and then showing them how God's word should really be understood. So he will then give the churches imperatives. Now that they understand what the gospel is, this is what's called the indicatives of the gospel. What does it mean? He's going to give them in chapters 5 and 6 some imperatives of the gospel. What, what does the gospel lead us to do? Right. So we have indicatives. What is the gospel? And imperatives. What does the gospel lead us to do? So you think about loving your neighbor as yourself. That's an imperative of the gospel. If you're a Christian, you've been called to live out the Christian life in a way that you love your neighbor as yourself. So we'll get to that later on. But for today, we're just going to start at the beginning. So the first five verses of Galatians chapter 1. Let's read together. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord God, you are righteous and holy. You are just in all of your ways. You are high and lifted up, exalted. There is no one like you. And yet you are gentle and lowly. You're gracious and compassionate and kind. You're merciful in all of your ways. And God, these are not attributes that are uh, in, in tension with one another. This is who you are. You are the God of the gospel. You give good news to sinners like us. And so, Lord, I pray as we study through this letter to the Galatians, you would open our eyes even a little bit wider than ever before to behold the beauty of the good news of the gospel. 
that Jesus, you have come to save sinners for yourself. And it's in your saving work that you will be seen as glorious. So God, we thank you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move among us at this time. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to see three things in these five verses that I think are important for us to kind of get the foundation of this whole letter, right? And we've, we've talked about them a little bit in the, in the introduction earlier, but kind of give them some numbers. So if you're taking notes, you can just write this down. The, the first point for this morning is Paul's authority is from God alone, right? Paul's authority is from God alone. We mentioned earlier that Paul is an apostle, but these false teachers, these Judaizers are saying he's not really an apostle, right? So Paul begins his letter here like he does most letters, right? He gives his name. He says, Paul, right? He introduces himself. This is standard procedure. And he also describes himself as an apostle. So you read Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle. He does this in Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus. This is nothing out of the ordinary. But then he shifts and does something he doesn't do in other letters. He says that he is not an apostle because of men, nor through man, but rather through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So what's happening here? Why is he saying that he's an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father? Well, first, Paul is doing this to say that his apostleship did not come from other people. Namely, the, the other apostles didn't look at Paul and go, yeah, you can be an apostle. We make you an apostle, right? It's not that Peter and James and John gave and the other apostles gave Paul authority, right? His authority doesn't come from men. As we'll see later in the letter, Paul was affirmed by the other apostles that he was, he was seen to be one called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But those, those men didn't make him an apostle. Rather, uh, the false teachers were arguing that he wasn't a real apostle, but Paul is saying, Galatians, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ and God the Father through their authority. They are the ones. God is the one who called me to this office. So, so you and I, when we read this letter, just like the Galatian churches before us, we can trust that Paul has the authority of an apostle because it was given to him on the Damascus road by God. The risen Lord Jesus came to him, he blinded him, and he called him out to serve him for the rest of his days. That's how Paul became an apostle. It wasn't from men nor through man, but through God. So when we think about the church, so like what is the church? What are the marks of the church? There are four um, kind of really historic, ancient marks or definitions that we would give for the church. And we're not going to go through all of them, but, but very quickly, the church is one. So there's, there's one church. There's not the, the church of Jesus over here and the church of Jesus over there. there there's, there's one church. We're all a part of the body of Christ. The church is holy, meaning that we live as a set-apart people. Uh, we, we look different than the rest of the world. The church is Catholic. So don't think like Roman Catholic church, but think little c Catholic. That word Catholic just means universal, meaning the church of Jesus Christ ought to extend to the ends of the earth. It's Catholic. It is for everyone. And the last one, the last mark that, that historically we would define the church as having is uh, the church is apostolic. It's apostolic. It's founded on the teachings of the apostles. And those teachings are what make up our New Testament. So this is where you and I as believers need to have our authority in order. 
it, the Galatians were missing it, right? They, they were running after these false teachers and not standing on the authority of Paul, the apostle, because the authority of the, the apostles is, is from the authority of God. So, so in comparison to men teaching things versus the apostles giving out this doctrine from the authority of God himself, there's no question as to which one is more trustworthy. And if you and I aren't careful, we will fall into the same trap, the same snare that the Galatians fell into. We'll start to run after other teachers, even if they contradict the Bible, even if they contradict God's word. The ultimate authority, the supreme authority in your life as a Christian, in my life as a Christian, is the word of God. There's nothing greater in authority than that. It's more authoritative than your favorite teacher, than your favorite book, your favorite celebrity, your, favorite, or your parents or the government. Anything else in the universe, everything else submits to the authority of God's word. Everything else submits to it. So when you and I read or hear something about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, like say we see somebody on Instagram with a really encouraging or challenging post about what it means to follow Jesus. When we hear or read something about what it means to follow Christ, it has to submit to the word of God. It has to submit to scripture. It doesn't matter how good it sounds, how right it seems, or how it makes you feel. If it goes against scripture, it's not for you. It's, it's actually a trap. It, it's actually a way that, that our flesh can get away from the truth. It's a way that the, the enemy, the devil, can lead us away from the truth. It's a way that the world wants to show us another way than the truth. We don't go there because we have the scripture as our ultimate authority. So Paul's authority for the Galatians rests on the same authority that raised Jesus from the dead. That's why he says, uh, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right? The same power that brought Jesus back to life is the power that equips Paul to be an apostle for the church. So this authority of Jesus is the same authority as God the Father. So don't, don't miss this here in this, in this verse. Paul doesn't categorize Jesus as a mere man, right? He says, I'm an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus and God the Father. So he's describing Jesus as equal with God the Father. He's describing the Son of God as the same kind of authority as the Father. So don't miss this clear example from Galatians chapter 1 that Paul is saying to you and me and to the rest of the world, Jesus is God. He's not... He's not just a man. He's not just a human being. He's more than that. Next, Paul says something else that you won't find in his other letters. He writes that all the brothers are with him. So, so when he's introducing who is writing this letter, it's, it's Paul writing the letter, but it's also all the brothers who are with him, right? So why does he include that phrase? It's because these brothers are in agreement in what Paul is writing. So what Paul has been teaching the church in Galatia uh, and what he is about to say in this letter isn't some crazy, like, strung-out minority opinion of some Christian somewhere. It's the truth that God's people have both seen and believed. So Paul wants the church in Galatia to know. It's not just, I didn't just come up with this, right? This is what we as the body of believers have believed and have, 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 been, have received from God to be true. So what I'm about to tell you about the gospel, what I'm about to tell you about who Jesus is, 
It's not just from me, it's from us. It's from the body. So uh, we are a part, you and I, are a part of this great tradition that has gone through the, the corridor of time that throughout the generations has upheld and preserved the doctrines of the faith. Right? We, we are one generation out of many who continue to follow Jesus. So, so here's the application for you and me. We think about Paul uh, appealing to the brothers who are with him. When new voices with novel teaching, new teaching appear, whether the Judaizers in the first century or popular teachers and preachers in our day, we ought to be very, very cautious. If you hear a, a Christian pastor, a Christian teacher saying things that no one else has ever said about the faith or about the Bible or about Jesus, right? if, you, if you hear someone teaching about uh, God's word or the gospel and no one else is saying those things, you should be really, really cautious, right? Because my job as a teacher of God's word is not to be novel. It's not to be uh, necessarily even, even relevant. It, it's to be faithful to what we have received on throughout history from this great tradition of the church. Right? I don't want to come to you and, and teach you anything that is new. I want to come and show you what's always been, what's always been in God's Word, what's always been for us as God's people. So if you hear someone teaching something new, you should be very, very cautious. Well, Paul wants to make sure that the churches in Galatia are not giving up the gospel. So he writes this letter to the churches of Galatia. Apparently, this whole region had been affected by the teaching of those false teachers. And so what is, what is Paul's message? We see first that Paul's authority is from God alone, but, but what is Paul's message? If you're taking notes, the second point for us this morning is that Paul's message is grace and peace. Paul's message is grace and peace. We see this in verse 3. Let's read it together. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This part of Paul's greeting is common in many of his letters. And I think it's because he knows that no matter where you are in the Christian faith, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, you need grace and you need peace. You always need these two massively important truths. And they go hand in hand, right? One depends on the other. It really is, if you think about it, grace and peace in this context is the gospel wrapped up in just two words. So first, we see grace. What is grace? It's, it's the unmerited favor of God. It's, it's getting what you and I do not deserve. Because what do we deserve? As sinners, we deserve God's wrath. Our wages is death, according to Paul in Romans. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, as he says in Ephesians. We had, a, we had broken the covenant over and over and over again, and we didn't care. I mean, you think about what we just learned about in the book of Exodus. That they broke the covenant and God wanted to destroy them because they had broken the covenant. They deserved his justice. And in the same way, you and I deserve God's righteous judgment because of our sin. But what he offers to you and me instead of his judgment is compassionate love. He offers us grace, right? You and I can find grace from God, not because we have done anything to deserve it, right? Because then it wouldn't be grace, but because God is rich in mercy. He delights in showing grace and compassion to those who don't deserve it. He loves to take 
broken, unclean things and put them back together again. He loves to show his compassionate heart to the poor and to the humble. And most importantly, by his grace, he restores that broken relationship between you and me and him. We can know God and be known by him only by his grace. Students, don't miss this. You and I can get on this right now. You, you may know that you're a Christian and you just forget this, this good news that you can know God and be known by Him. And it's all because of His grace. It's all because of His grace towards you. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you've not done, there is grace to be found if you just run to Him. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn anything. You just receive the gift that God offers you by His grace. And where does that grace get us? Once we receive the grace, where does the grace of God lead us? It leads us to peace. In God, our souls that are burdened because of our sin find rest. That the toiling and the striving of this world can be laid down for the peace of God. The war that awaits us as enemies of God in our sin, it can be traded in for His perfect peace and we don't have to worry anymore. This is the promise of the gospel. No more wrath. No more burden to bear. No more guilt that we have to hold on to. In other words, as Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So grace and peace are offered to sinners like you and like me, prodigals and Pharisees. You and I can get in on this because of God's grace and mercy. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to, to get into a certain kind of lifestyle before you come to Jesus. You just come to Him as you are. You don't have to take any steps beforehand. You just come to Him in faith, responding to the love and the mercy that He offers freely to you. That's the gospel. How does he do this? How does God show grace to sinful, unrighteous, undeserving people? How does he bring to life those who are spiritually dead and still remain the righteous judge of the universe? The answer, Paul tells us in the next phrase, it's through the death of Jesus. Look again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Jesus is the lens through which you and I are able to see God the Father. It's why Jesus can say in John chapter 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And this Jesus gave himself, why? For our sins. So one thing that should stagger us, one thing that should catch you and I off guard, it should take our breath away, is that when we think about the gospel, we need to think about how much our sin costs. Our sin is not cheap. It's costly. There was no payment able to pay down our debts other than the blood and body of the Son of God. So here's the point. Your sin is way worse than you know. 
unrighteous, self-righteous, prodigal Pharisee, your sin is way worse than you could ever imagine. You are way worse off. You are way more of a traitor to God's holiness and his throne than you ever imagined. You're way more of a spiritual adulterer who runs after false gods and idols to, to worship after instead of the one who is worthy. You're way worse than you ever thought possible. But God's grace through Jesus is way bigger than your sin. Your sin will never outrun God's grace. Your sin will never outmatch God's compassion for you. You can never get too dirty. You can never get too far gone. Jesus is always there for you. And so this crucified and resurrected Jesus pays for our sins and accomplishes our salvation for what? What is he, what is he doing? Well, look again at verse 4. It says, He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. To deliver us from the present evil age. We've all probably heard of justification. I've, I've taught this before. You've probably heard it before. It, it, justification is the idea that you and I have been made right before God once and for all. And the penalty of our sin has been removed. Right. So, so one time in a moment when you come to Christ, you are justified. Right? You are made righteous in God's sight. And we know about glorification. Right? We know that one day you and I will be with God in perfect holiness, in perfect relationship, and there will not be any presence of sin anymore forever. Right? So we have justification at the beginning of our walk with Jesus. We have glorification in the eternity future of our walk with Jesus. But in between, like right now today, what are we doing? We're justified, for sure, but we're not glorified yet. We're not there yet. Jesus hasn't come back. So what are we doing? We are being delivered from the present evil age. That's what Paul is getting at here in Galatians 1.4, and that's where we are today. Why? Because we have been brought out of our sin, but we still live in a broken world, and we still have sinful bodies and souls. We still have brokenness in our life. So, so now, through the power of God by His Holy Spirit, we are being sanctified from one degree of glory to the next. We're becoming more and more like Jesus as we pass through this world that's not our home anymore. We came from this world. We believed its lies. We walked in its false promises. But now we've been set free by God. By God's grace, He has set us free. We've been delivered from this evil age. We've been set free from where we once were. We're no longer slaves to our sin anymore. We're now citizens of a heavenly kingdom. But our minds and our hearts and even our bodies still remember the ways of the world. We still remember what it means, what it feels like, what it looks like to be a sinner, to, to long after things that we ought not to long for, to, to run after things that we ought not to run after. So students, your sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit to make you more like Jesus to prepare you to meet him face to face. In your life right now, the reason, one of the reasons why you're still on this earth is because the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. 
He's working in your life. He's transforming your mind. He's transforming your heart and your desires. He's even transforming your body. The, the practices and the habits, the things that you do are being changed by the Spirit. It's the task of you becoming less familiar with the evil of this world or the evil of this age and becoming more familiar with the life that's found in Christ. That's all sanctification is. It's you becoming less like the world and more like Christ. And, and that's the life that you and I, I hope, want to live and, and we want to live it together. So that's the point of our growing in our understanding of the Scriptures. Like We don't read the Bible just so that we can list off facts about what the Bible says. No, we read and study and grow in our knowledge of the Scripture so that we can discern and to see rightly what, what is false about the present evil age, these things that we used to believe and maybe even still believe that aren't true, that aren't right, that aren't helpful. We learn the Bible so that we can put away those false beliefs and replace them with the powerful truth of the age to come. The, the, the glorious truths of who we are in Christ and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We are caught, though. right? We're kind of caught in this tension between where we were and where we're going. We're, we're caught between a life as a sinner without Christ and a life as a Christian without sin. So what are we doing right now? We live in this tension, this, this time that's already here, but it's, it's also not yet come. Right? It's, it's already, but it's not yet. And, and all of this, Jesus is doing by His grace to, to sanctify you by His Spirit. And how is He doing it? What's the, what's the foundation of, of His actions? It says, Paul says at the end of verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. Students, God wants you. This is clear you want to know what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do today? What does he want me to do with my semester? What does he want me to do with my summer? Right? What does he want me to do with all of this extra time that I have? Right here, God wants you to grow in grace. He wants you to do that. That's what he desires for you. He wants you to dive deeper into the glories of the gospel. He wants you to walk in his ways and to know his word. These are clear. Like we know that we know this is what God wants for us. We don't have to wonder, does God want me to know his word better? Like we don't have to wonder, does God want me to be more holy? Yes, he wants you to be like his son. And, and by God's grace, he's given you his spirit to empower you and equip you to grow in that grace, to be sanctified in holiness, to become spiritually mature. Now, um, we see here that the Father and the Son have been working in perfect harmony, right? Jesus gives himself. He, he dies on the cross. He gives himself, right? He decides, but it's all according to the will of God the Father, right? So you see what's going on here? The Father and the Son have one will. Their, their desire for you is exactly the same because they have one mind. There is one God, right? We believe in one God who exists in three persons, but their will, the will of the Father, the will of the Son, and actually the will of the Spirit are all one for you so that you would grow in grace and, and glorify Him with your life. All three persons of the Trinity are involved in your salvation, right? The, the Father, before the foundations of the world, 
called you. He chose you. He wrote your name in his book. The son comes to earth, lives a perfect life, dies, is buried, raises from the dead, and ascends to heaven so that your salvation might be accomplished. And now, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is applying and sanctifying and perfecting this work of God in you. And we'll see more about the work of the Spirit as we get farther into the book of Galatians. But don't, don't, skip, don't skip the grandeur of what we're talking about right now. I mean, what, what good news is this that God would find you in your sin, in your desperation, in your brokenness, and He would give you life? That, that God would find you the one who's disobedient, the one who's dishonorable, the one who's broken in so many ways. And he would set his affection and his love on you. I mean, that God would choose you, the self-righteous Pharisee, who thinks that they are holier than anyone else in the world, or, or at least anyone else in your grade. And he instead would show you compassion. What kind of good news is this? What kind of God is this? Who works all things for good on behalf of a sinful people? Who loves us with perfect, radiant love? And Paul tells us, as we finish the section, what kind of God our God is. He is glorious. So if you're taking notes, the third point for us today is that Paul's hope is the glory of God. Paul's hope is the glory of God. Look at verse 5. We've read all these things about what God has done in Christ. To whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. Tom Schreiner, he's a New Testament scholar, and he defines the glory of God as the beauty, majesty, and greatness of who he is, and therefore in all he does, whether in salvation or in judgment, the greatness of his being is demonstrated. That's the glory of God, and our God is glorious. And Paul's hope for the churches in Galatia and and. And by the Spirit, Paul's hope for you and me is that we would catch a vision. We would catch a glimpse of God's glory. That we would see God for who He is. When you and I live our lives in faithfulness to God, we're not adding to His glory. So when we think about glorifying God, don't think that we're somehow adding something to God that He doesn't have, right? We don't add anything to who God is. He is completely, eternally, infinitely perfect in and of himself. He is infinitely glorious, infinitely holy, infinitely wonderful and good. So we don't add anything to him per se. Instead, we're reflecting back to him what eternally and infinitely has always radiated from him. So like the rays of, a, of the sun catching a mirror in the daytime, you and I will catch a display of God's glory and when we live lives of faithfulness to Christ, when we live lives that are founded on His grace and not founded on our works, we will reflect His glory well. This is what the gospel is for, right? Why are you saved? Why are you brought from death to life? Why does God give you a new heart? Why does He give you His Holy Spirit? so that you will do what you were made to do. Students, you were created to glorify God. 
That's what you were made for. You were made to live in right relationship with God, to enjoy His presence and His blessing and His goodness. You were made to to see Him rightly. You, You were made to have hearts that beat for His fame, for His glory. And the fact is, students, whether we're sinners apart from Jesus or Christians following after Him faithfully, we are always glorifying something. We can't get away from doing what we were made to do. We were always going to worship something or someone. And the gospel recalibrates our bodies. It, It resets our lives, our souls, to worship and to glorify the right thing. Right? So if I have a compass and it's decalibrated, it's not correctly showing, I can look at it and it might say that I'm going north, but I might actually be going east, right? That's because the the compass is decalibrated. It's always going to point me in a direction, but that direction may not be right. And in the same way, we in our sin are always worshiping something, but it's not aimed the right way. The gospel, God's grace in our lives, allows us to be reset, recalibrated, so that the glory that we reflect back, the worship that we give, is pointed in the right direction. That's the Christian life. It's the whole process of of us becoming more and more in tuned, more and more calibrated to worship God in spirit and in truth. The gospel actually frees us from the slavery of glorying in ourselves or glorifying the things of the world. Now, why is living a decalibrated life slavery? Like, why is it slavery for me to worship myself, to glorify myself, or to glorify uh, my status on the internet or to glorify my status at school or to to glorify my grades or, or whatever it is. Why is it slavery? It's slavery because in your life it will never end. It's a never ending work. It's a never ending process and it never satisfies. It never actually produces what you want it to produce. If you worship yourself, glorify yourself, you may find pleasure for a moment but you'll be left empty. If you worship the things of this world, you may find pleasure for a moment, but like the prodigal son, eventually you'll come to yourself and recognize, I have nothing. What what I'm doing is not what I was meant to do. It's not what I'm made for. So it's slavery because it's never ending. It never satisfies. And it's actually always at your expense. You're sacrificing yourself for other people or you're sacrificing yourself for your own image. Right? You are constantly giving of yourself to the wrong thing, hoping that it will somehow satisfy you. It never will. But the gospel, the gospel of grace that we read about in Galatians, the gospel of grace that we read in all of the Bible, frees us from this slavery, and it frees us to glorify the one that we were made for. And that's Paul's hope that God will receive glory from His redeemed forever and ever, for ages and ages, as the text says. Amen, right? He ends this this little section by saying, Amen. Now, this amen, I think, is for you and me to say. Can we say amen? Amen just means to to agree, right? So if somebody says amen, what what they're really saying is, I agree with what you're saying. I believe that what you said is true. 
That, that's right. That's, that's on point. So the question for us as we, as we wrap up this morning is, can you say amen to all that we've talked about this morning? Do you really believe this? Like, do you really believe and know and trust that the gospel is offered to you for free by the grace of God? Do you really believe that we cannot be too dirty for Jesus, not just to be near us, but to embrace us as His own? Do you really believe that our self-righteous efforts will never be enough to earn anything? Do we know that we can have His peace? This is good news. This is the gospel for you and for me. And Paul calls for us to search ourselves and ask before you say amen, do you believe this? Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that God is for you? Do I really believe that God is for me? So I pray that as we dive into Paul's letter to the Galatians, that you will cling all the more tightly to the God who has saved you by His grace. That you would love Christ because He is supremely lovely. That you would know that He loves you more than you could possibly imagine right now in this moment. No matter where you are, what you've done, what you've confessed or not confessed, if you are in Christ, He loves you right now more than you could ever imagine. I pray that you would know these things. That you would believe these things. And that you would begin to join the Spirit who's already at work in you as you live a life giving glory to the God of heaven and earth. Let me pray for you. And oh Lord, it is you alone who is worthy of our worship. You alone are worthy of glory. We praise you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no one like you. And God, you, the, the exalted one, you dwell among your people. You invite us into your presence. You call us up to your throne room of grace. That we can come before you in confidence. That we can believe and trust that we're never too dirty, we're never too far off to come back to you. That the gospel really is a free gift. It wasn't free for you. It came at great cost, the blood of Jesus, His body broken for us. But Lord, in Your kindness and in Your grace, You offer it to us for free. All we have to do is receive. All we have to do is come before You broken and contrite and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. God, I can't make myself right. I can't fix myself up to be good enough. And God, You will change us from the inside out. You'll give us new hearts. You'll raise us from spiritual death to life. You'll, you'll indwell us by the power of your Spirit. You'll seal us with the guarantee of, of our inheritance in heaven. And you'll fill us with hope. Hope that you're coming again to make all things right. We pray that this gospel would be something that every one of us knows and loves and cherishes and treasures. Not so that we can just get something out of it. No, God, we want to love and cherish these things because it's from you. Because you're the one that we love. You're the one that we glorify. You're the one that we worship. You're the object of our affection. I pray that you would do this among your people. You would change us, mold us and shape us to, to know and love the gospel, to stand on your word above everything else. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.